Welcome back, everybody, to the Alfalfa Podcast. Hello, Alfalfa fam. We're here for a delightful life episode today. We've got Nick Rabani, the Hi. Algo, back in the house. Apparently, my new nickname is Sushi Boy. So, Sushi Boy. I heard, I heard <laughs> you fuckers. I heard you fuckers. I did call you Sushi Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, can't wait to hear the Sushi Alpha. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a little bucket list, uh, more things. Uh, that are on the list of what to do before you die. Uh, discussion that should be quite riveting and inspiring around that. And uh, I've got a little um, alpha there that I want to dig into. And we're going to go into uh, SpaceX's um, Starship launch scheduled for tomorrow. We're recording this on the 19th. It's happening on FO20. Uh, we'll see if this thing launches off and getting into discussion about what that means. Pretty historic if it happens. And uh, kind of finishing out with our thoughts on the future. Are we optimistic? Are we pessimistic? Should we be exploring um, in general? And what does this mean for the human race? You guys ready? No. Locked in. Actually, yeah. It's just about You're to leave. You're not ready? <laughs> oh, man, I'm sorry. You have to leave? Yeah. Shit, dude. In my face. Oh, man, you're going to leave us? Life's tough, brother. <laughs> Do I look like Jesus right now? Just... Like, <laughs> just yeah, so if you're not watching Steven on the YouTube right now, he's got a ray of sunlight just settling right just, on him. Beaming just, on we him. We just realized that the uh, the studio at this time of year, apparently on this day, has just direct sunlight through the window. There's no shade. It's just on my face. Are you prepared like a like a man of your pigment should be at all times? <laughs> For that kind of direct sunlight? <laughs> yeah, fortunately, I've been outside a lot, so. I don't feel like you had trouble with that as a kid. Were you like, did you need a lot of SPF 100? No, I'm pretty. Yeah. I'm you got the native thing, right? I'm fairly tan, right? You've got the four percent. One thirty second native. Yeah, uh, native. yeah. with Warren. I am far more four percent, right? That. No, no. that would be a lot. I'm twelve and a half percent. Twelve and a half. Yeah. You what, got the rest. Paisan? You got the receipts. Yes. Okay. Yes. Armand's uh, twelve and a half percent. I literally have the. Res- I literally. <laughs> <laughs> I will have my mother fax you my tribal. My papers. toes. My toes are the receipts for that one. It's weird. Your toes just poured me a glass toes, of wine. Dude. <laughs> and that was what split and ultimately was with the Neanderthals. We had this thing with our feet. We could do more with our feet than our hands. The sapiens just kind of. Took a U-turn, went the other direction. <laughs> Do you think some guy just made that up to sell us the toes with the funny uh, the, the shoes with a the funny Vibram. toes? Oh, yeah. It's a pretty good narrative. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Picture Vibram. I bought it. <laughs> I had I had I had those when I was twenty five, and I went to the foot doctor, and he was like, "You're a moron." <laughs> did you buy something? Did, on the, did you learn this on the internet? <laughs> yeah, that's what he asked me, and I said yes. <laughs> you were shamed. I was shamed. Shamed by a superior. Um, it happens. So, um, yeah, Nick, we were. Quite jealous, not gonna lie. It feels it seems like everyone and their mom has been in Japan lately. Got another friend going tomorrow, actually. Um, so what was it like and what'd you eat and give us the breakdown? It was a fun oh man, it was a blast. Like um I think the best part of it was just uh being in a completely different area. I mean, you, you go there and you know, the US is pretty uh mixed, right? It's a melting pot. Japan isn't. So you're you're surrounded by completely different people. You know, mostly Japanese. Probably felt felt like ninety percent plus Japanese on those stats. Entirely Japanese. Yeah, entirely mm-hmm. Japanese. They speak only Japanese. Um, different cityscape. 
Like just except the, our boy Liquidiate, by the way. Shout yeah, out to yeah. I didn't get a chance to meet up with him. Sorry, bud. I was uh, Americano but, in yeah. in Japan. Our uh, our turnaround times in Kyoto and Osaka were pretty tight. Probably a little too short, mm. and uh, yeah, didn't get a chance to. But uh, yeah, shout out to you, bud. Um, yeah, but just like everything feels different there. You get this like I'm fucking traveling dopamine shock. At least coming from from Southern California, it feels like that. The cityscape is different. Uh, you know, a lot. And it's, I forgot how big Tokyo is. I mean, it's like multiple Manhattans in, into one, which is fascinating on its own. Different culture, different food. And then, you know, I didn't really have like a routine that I have here. So like no routine in a completely different area. I've been three times, but still had the same, same good vibes. Uh, was this the third time? Yeah, this was the third time. Yeah, I've been yeah. three too, and I would go 10 times. Oh man. I mean like a great vacation spot. It'd be tough to live there just if you don't know the language. Um, I think like mo- most people, most Japanese people learn English in like fifth, sixth grade, kind of maybe carry it through, maybe through some high school. But like it's not like other countries which learn English. There's still like a pretty noticeable gap, you know, with like wow, the I amount of English. that they don't study it at all in school because the average Japanese person speaks basically zero English. Yeah, maybe someone from the audience can kind of inform us better and like I what, didn't what know it's like. that it was that standard. Um I mean, because that is one of the my favorite things about Japan is that, yeah, your English is not going to get you by. They don't give a fuck. No, it's like, no, this ain't your world, buddy. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe some of the hotels will know like a handful yeah. of words to, to get you, you know, get you by. Um, but but for the most part, you're kind of just like, you know, tr- trying to trying to get through the day, which is not difficult. You know, it's like a very different place, but it's easy to travel around. You got the trains, public so transportation. Have you ever thought about that? Like how you're in an alternate reality where um, you, you know, completely different paradigm, completely different language, but yet everything as a foreigner makes sense and works. Just flows. I've thought about yeah. this. I'm curious if you have like a, a feeling of like why a person could survive without speaking the language. Yeah, I mean, every, everyone's had those basic things like I need to find the bathroom. I need to pay for this. Like, you know, I'm trying to get to this place. I mean, certainly you know, the internet helps having Google translate, you know, in a menu that's all Japanese, you can just take the Google translate app, not even take a picture of it, just hover the camera over the menu and it instant translates the, the menu for you. That's pretty impactful. Obviously being able to show a taxi driver, this is where I'm going on Google maps and it's in kanji, it's in Japanese so they can, you know, understand where you're going. That, that certainly makes oh, things damn. a whole lot easier. We've come a long way yeah, since Lost you, in Translation. Can you imagine that in, like, 1970? Yeah, exactly. What would you, what would you Did do? you guys see Lost in Translation? No. Stayed Bill at the hotel. Scarlett Johansson, Academy Award winner. I, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. I have not seen Highly recommend it that, uh, that that bar is at the top of Hotel Park Hyatt, oh, yeah, Park Hyatt in Tokyo. We stayed there. It was very, very nice. My theory on why, though, um, is that the Japanese are the best builders in the world. And so everything, like the product experience that I would like to see in crypto, is so intuitive that you could just be looking at scribble letters, and yet ultimately the logic is there. The fundamentals are sound. Everything works the way you want it to and the way it logically should in many ways. Like now, in many ways, they do everything backwards, obviously. Someone will come at me and say, like, well, everything's actually the opposite arm on. It's completely unintuitive. I understand that. But if you look at it from, like, a building perspective, engineering perspective, in my opinion, the Japanese and the Germans are the best in the world. The products are the best in the world. And I think that shows. Got a three-piece alpha for you. 
First off, first alpha food related. You go there for the sushi, but you keep coming back for the fucking steak. It's so good. Like you, we set up a bunch of reservations and like the first four were omakase sushi and we we're just like stuffed. But then, you know, there's really good sushi restaurants in San Diego. Obviously, if you live on the coast, you experience good sushi. You probably get different types of fish, all different types of seafood in the omakase, like some pretty, pretty weird ones. Um, but uh, the steak, it's hard to find a steak that good in, mm. in, in San Diego. Japanese steak is super underrated. Yeah. You don't hear people talk about it. I think I had the best steak I've ever had there. Ooh. Um, so that's one. Second, Japanese toilets. Oh, oh yeah. Jesus. We, we, we knew Toto. that. I know you know that. And, and it's that. funny because uh, South Park had an episode. I rarely watch South Park, but I happen to like, I don't oh, know, throw one, it up on YouTube. So and my girlfriend <laughs> and I are watching it. And there's a there's an episode that just in this season about Japanese toilets. And it really just nails everything. Um, yeah, it had trouble. My One my, of the only reasons I want to own a home. Is so you to can install full blown the Toto nine thousand. Yeah, the Toto nine thousand. Because uh, I'm stuck with the Tushy one hundred right oh now. Oh man, I mean, your toilet doesn't great. lift open for you when you it's walk up to it. Play Did you do all the buttons? You play with all the buttons. Oh yeah, I'm scared. Well, the first time you, you had to be careful to aim don't hit that the stream. Button. Oh yeah, don't hit the girl button. <laughs> hit, your, <laughs> hit your right on the tip of the penis. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, it would. It does. <laughs> They got a dryer. Some of them have deodorizers in them. The dryers are such alpha. Yeah. Oh no, God. but yeah, that's so that. And nice. I'm talking like your grungiest of public toilets. Got the, at least the base level Toto. Warm seats, full bidet action. No income inequality there. Not nope. for the butt. The last one is a uh, is counterintuitive. So, no, well, perfectly clean streets, zero trash cans. There are no trash cans in Japan, just out on Very the Very hard to throw something away. But you, you can't throw anything away. And so how is it that there is no trash cans, but everything's perfectly clean? Does trash cans actually create this, like, just tossing of trash everywhere? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I consume just as much as I did in Japan. I just had to carry oh, my it, trash with me until I went to an establishment. The, doesn't it solve the problem more upstream? If you know downstream there's no disposal, doesn't that change the way... People build products upstream. I think that's the point, right? Because it changes like the type of uh, uh, materials that are used. You're more likely to create sustainable materials that can be reused or... But it's not the materials. It's like I have to carry this stuff with me. I get that part. I'm just thinking about the the aspect of like what it does to manufacturing. I I think like that culture is so polite that they would like take their trash with them for like 10 miles if... If they were asking, they also don't like you had to carry it, right? Yeah, and I I knew that going in because we've been before, but like hit me again. I was like, how's this place so clean? No trash cans, but uh, they also don't walk and eat. You know, it's not like you're like, I don't know, carrying your like diet soda from McDonald's as you like walk through the streets. Mm. You get rid of it before you uh, before you leave. So I don't know. Um, Those things were were pretty interesting to kind of pull out as maybe some life alpha for the pod. Trash cans is weird. (laughs) Yeah. That would not work here. That's not like some advanced technique. I think that just works because of the culture. Homogenous, yeah. Homogenous culture that have agreed you, on. Have you guys ever seen like rules. the stu- uh, Thomas Sowell talks about the study of uh, UN diplomats who have like diplomatic immunity and like don't have to pay like parking tickets, but they did a study on like all the diplomats from all the various countries and which ones paid parking tickets and which ones didn't. And, like, the number one country, I think, that paid the most parking tickets was, like, Japan. Hmm. 
They're the they're the uh, World Cup team that cleans the locker room before yeah. they leave. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. They were cleaning the stadium. Yep. So was Korea. Yeah, just a very polite um, culture. Um, almost like, just really like awkward, respectful for you because, like, in a normal interaction, like at a cashier, you might hear "thank you very much" like three or four times, and uh, yeah. Oh, last get time that. I went there, we took an Uber to the hotel. My buddy immediately left his cell phone in the in the Uber and gets in touch with the guy. The guy drove two hours to bring his phone back and then refused <laughs> to take any money and then just left. But yeah, also new tips there, by the way. It's incredible. I've never seen anything like it. You're just supposed to expect good service. And he, he did it out of the kindness of his heart. Right yeah, do. it's just like, no, you just do that. You would do it for me. I was in the train station. I was wondering if I could like take a bunch of money and just spread it out and just see if like everyone would pick it up and, and hand it back to you. It. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, the other thing I did there that was thing. interesting is we, we were like out, out late at night and we, we found out there was like a two-star Michelin like wood-fired pizza place like in an alley near us. And it was like 12 bucks for a pizza. And it looked like this little hole in the wall, like pizza, but it was like a two-star Michelin restaurant. And we went in there and just ate this like pizza. And it was unbelievable, like in Japan. And it was, that was just like not a thing I thought we would do. It just happened to be like right there. That was like super fun. So I had, like, oh, I had such a good night. God, I want to go back. Let's <laughs> run it back, boys. How do you guys feel about um, uh, pooping away from home? Uh, fine. fine. No, no, no stage fright. There's a bidet. Okay, so I'm like, <laughs> as as I'm not a fan of these uh, road games. I don't, I don't, I like to play home games mostly. Okay, mm. so you hold it until so, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I try to most times, uh, particularly when I'm traveling. But in Japan, I remember I, I go into like a 7-Eleven and, you know, had to. So yeah. I go and the cashier, like you said, is like, hey, thanks for stopping by. What an honor. What an honor to have you. I was like, pleasure was all mine, dude. <laughs> you're so polite. Yeah, By the way, 7-Elevens, I, I think the founder was from, from Japan. They're, they're not, uh, there's good quality food in there. I think I bought your gifts from 7-Eleven. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we've <laughs> told, I don't, I don't know if we've told the story on the pod, but the last time we went to Japan, Nick and I went together. We talked about the trip, but like one of the things that happened is we were sitting at a bar. We got into a conversation with this guy and he said, I'll be back. Wait here. And he came back with a bag of gifts. It was candy. He bought candy. a whole bag full all of Japanese different candy. style. He was like, I want you to try all these different candies. And it was a uh, Takashi. Takashi. I think that was called. Yeah. Yeah. Or Togadashi, <laughs> something like that. Um, I wrote it down, um, but like, who does that? Like, that doesn't happen in most societies. We had some good places. drunk encounters with strangers at the bar. It was fun. Let me think about it. Can you imagine me telling you that in America, like you, I, hey guys, I was uh, sitting at the bar and there was this guy from uh, <laughs> Cambodia. And it was his first time in the United States. And I said, just wait right here, sir. I'll be right back. <laughs> Got to get and you In-N-Out Burger. <laughs> yeah. Or I went to In-N-Out and I brought it back. And I'm like, you must try. No, we don't operate that way. That's not in our code. Like, they give him a gun. Welcome to America. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to need one. I think it's because of like the homogeneity. Of I, I know. Japan. I didn't want to start and open it. But yeah. I was like thinking about our discussion around like Scandinavia I was thinking about crime and like hospitality Which and just how like small town like yeah. Midwest US where everybody's the same, everybody knows each other, everybody looks the same, everybody's very very nice. But then you go it's to like New agreement. York City, and if you do that, somebody will like probably pull a knife on you and be like, "What? What are you? Are you, are you trying to rob me?" 
Yeah. The, the, the sort of like um, diversity of opinion and backgrounds creates more prosperity and freedom and upward mobility for everybody. But then the trade-off is like insecurity, trash, broken systems, crime, pain in general. But in these societies where like it's more homogenous, like, I don't know, everyone has a higher baseline. It really seems, and it just seems like more respectful of each other, less fear, less security issues. I don't think that applies everywhere. Like you can't apply that to uh, the Congo. Plenty, of, it's very homogenous culture, but very unsafe place. So there is, uh, if I was gonna steel man the argument, definitely like there are plenty of homogenous cultures where things are absolutely terrible, um, but there's something there. There's something there to explore more. It's like a hierarchy of needs baseline plus homogeneity equals. Yeah, there you go. Everybody's very nice. Yeah. There's a formula somewhere. Yeah. Um, so where where do you guys want? Like, what are some other like? So so actually, one more question for you, Nick. Mm-hmm. How much was this trip dictated by the recent uh, alpha from this year for you around spending more on these types of experiences? From the book that you read, yeah, yeah, yeah. Die, with, uh, die with zero, die with zero, and some of the mm-hmm. new planning that you've done, and your new, your new yearly plan for 2023. I mean, I didn't hold back. Like we didn't, we didn't spare expense on it. We like didn't. I think for me, uh, this is your rich life. Yeah, I guess. And like, I, I don't like to buy things. Like, I've had the same car for over a decade. Like, a lot of us are very similar in that respect. And you know don't like to buy things. But when it comes to this, it's like, no, this is experience. We'll remember this forever. Like we want to like experience it the way you want to experience it. And I think, I don't know, for me, it was even more so like that with just a little less like that talking voice in the back of your head, like, well, should you really spend this much on this, on this dinner? Like that's kind of obscene, mm-hmm. um, you know, and should you really have a car drive you around and things like that? And just, did it the way we wanted to do it and nice dude um not without without like a you know back talk of from yourself about yeah well i think that's really healthy it, w- it was part of what i wanted to share today um and it's so tightly related that i'll just say it so last night i started watching ramit sethi's new documentary um not documentary his series on netflix and by the way unbelievable i've been following this guy for 15 years He's come such a long way. He's built this huge brand. I will teach you to be rich. And now he's got a series on Netflix. Over the last couple of years, he's been doing a podcast. I don't know if you guys are familiar, where he sits down with couples and he talks to them about their finances. It's an amazing podcast because they share everything. And it's like basically therapy for the mind around money. And he works through all kinds of money trauma with people, but ultimately helps them set up very simple systems to become wealthy. I've been utilizing Ramit's system since he wrote his book 12, 13 years ago or whatever it was. Um, so started watching the series last night, really enjoyed it, highly recommend it to anyone. I think it's called How to Get Rich on Netflix, Ramit Sethi. But his cardinal rule is to um, cut, the like to spend extravagantly on the things you love, but to cut ruthlessly on everything else. It's a really simple framework. It's just like you decide, I said rich life. I was saying it because that's what he says. He says, define what your rich life is and go and do that and fucking say yes to that. Like when you do it, do it all the way without that feeling of like, I think what I did for many years is like I would just do everything like kind of halfway. 
And instead what happens is you're always feeling a little guilty about everything. Oh, should I have done that? Should I have done this? No, you shouldn't have done most of it. But what you should have done is spent extravagantly on that one trip or on that one car. Even a car is a good example of like, don't go get the $30,000 car. Get the McLaren. Get the Mercedes that you want. Get the if, whatever if that you that, want if that's the thing yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah. It's identifying what makes you, what brings you joy. Yeah. And then like just diving into that. And then there are many things that we all do that aren't really and you've like, brought this up, right? Yeah, I think I mentioned this. On You're really good our, at this too. One of our old episodes, yeah. I, I sort of just do this naturally, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I used his verbiage yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, like spend do, do you find that like a, you know, with a couple, with your partner, it's like, well, there's two, con- you know, concentric circles and there's probably like maybe a little overlap, hopefully a lot of overlap where you both agree like, no, this is what we love and we're going to spend a lot on this and then this stuff we're going to cut so what I found to bare minimum. within my relationship, what I found is that um, the Venn diagram doesn't overlap really significantly at all. It's just more like compromise, understanding what the other person's version of a rich life is and then like leaning into that and then they'll do the same for you. And then you guys kind of like yeah. cool, meet in the middle of that way. Yeah, totally. And I think identifying that intersection is so important, though, even if it's only like 10 percent, because then you can design an actual sort of plan together of like what you want to attain as a couple. And I think that's really hard for a lot of couples. It causes a lot of conflict, um, tremendous conflict. I think like most couples get into conflict over over finances more than anything. Ooh, yeah. OK, so as I like think more about that, I think uh the way that we actually do it is, is kind of like what you're saying. It's like, I think the, the Venn diagram overlaps more. If you're talking about um, like values than things like Mina might like uh, a designer handbag and uh, you know, expensive perfume or something, which I could give zero about, but like we both um, are like family first oriented. So when it comes to family stuff, we will just say yes to all that. You'll go fly to and uh, family. Yeah. And-, and I think, you know, with that, we'll, will sort of overlap, but mostly, yeah. you know, her stuff and my stuff, you know, like I want to go watch a Padres game. She's like, <laughs> fine, you know, or whatever, you know? So what are, what are some life experiences you, you know, outside of Japan, Nick, and just like things you guys think about, it's like, man, those are some things that I have to do while I am here on this planet alive. Like I must experience these things. Like do you have like a bucket list of sorts? To to me, like when I think about this, like my mind always goes to like Anthony Bourdain. Like when I see him going to like random places and just like eating food and then being in the culture and like taking in the people and the culture and the food, like I keep going back to that. To me, like that sort of thing is just, and like when I look back on a lot of my experiences traveling, like, like so many of them are, are food. And not necessarily like, oh, I ate in this like three-star Michelin or something. Because like, honestly, like half the time they are bleh. Um, but that like, oh my God, I want to go to this specific locale and try this very specific thing in this kind of like rundown restaurant and like talk to the owner. Like I want to like try to intentionally carve out more of those experiences for, for sure. Dude, I think agree more. That's like particularly interesting to me because... Um, you know, as you travel more, you realize there's like a thousand ways to live this life. <laughs> and maybe we've talked about this before, but you only get one of them. Yeah, that's why you guys are crazy for wanting to die so soon. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> said who, who wants to so die soon? soon? He's like, the fact that you'd end it at 5,000 is so weird. Oh, oh God. That <laughs> you said like 400. No. 
Maybe. Check, check, check. All right, we don't have to rehash that. Yeah, now. let's not rehash that. <laughs> so, so the point is like, you know, you only have one of these life, but like you can't live all thousand, but like wouldn't it be nice to go into different places of the world, particularly maybe not the most traveled, like, I don't know, Western Europe, for example, but to go to places where you can see how a life is lived differently and maybe you get some gratitude from it. Maybe you get a different perspective and you bring it back home and tweak, tweak your life a little bit, but just like being able to experience it for a short period of time, I think is absolutely is pretty, pretty special. I think for get me, FOMO on different ways to live life. That's why my version of my rich life is all about flexibility and it's the ability to leave uh, this, this home base for extended periods of time and go and experience uh, for me, the people side of the Bourdain equation is what stands out. Like I love the food side of it too, but like, the people side of the types of people Bourdain would meet or that I have met in my travels have been super fortunate, traveled a bunch. And what stands out to me the most is the conversations I've had. I mean, like one of my first trips I remember early on was to Cuba. And like we nicknamed this guy Hemingway that we had met. And I still remember lessons that I learned from him, quotes. Uh, I bring things up with my wife. I'm like, do you remember when Hemingway said this? And she's like, yeah, that changed everything for me. Um, and like real impactful stuff. Like she would make, he would make comments to us about our relationship. And we're like, we've only known each other three months. And he was like giving us all this sage wisdom. And it was just like otherworldly almost like this guide was here. But I've had so many experiences like that in different parts of the world where it's just like, this is abnormal. This is giving me like a whole other sense of reality that I didn't know existed. And what it does is it just like adds to the wallpaper of your experience. It's like you're quilting an experience and you go into Cambodia or Cuba or Zanzibar and you extract another framework for how to view reality and you add it into your quilt. And ultimately what it does is it just like broadens your own way of living and it allows you to let go of the way people are living here and your judgment for how you should be living in your home base. You just start to not give a fuck. You're like, I know more. I've seen more. I've been exposed to other ways. This is not the only way. And your social pressure is not going to make me different. And that's it. Like, I'm going to stand up for the life that I want to live. And I don't care whether my family or my friends thinks differently. I think that's the value of travel. Like, that's why I go more than more than anything. When we talk about like bucket list items, you mentioned Bourdain and, and this like popped in my head immediately. So to Tony Robbins, uh, you can, you can knock him and that's fine. But like, I find a lot of valuable stuff, uh, in his, uh, you know, advice. And he has this idea of like, there's the science of success and then there's the art of fulfillment and they're two very different things. And so Bourdain got the science of success, right. But as we know, uh, sadly, he did not necessarily master the art of fulfillment alongside of that. And so one of the things I had like written down before this was like, uh, one of the things I want to accomplish before I die is I don't want to necessarily become bitter as I grow older. You know, as you get a little older, you experience things like death, especially with close family members. And that can like really just weigh on you daily. And I don't necessarily want that to like Bitter. And as you grow older, you get physical limitations, you get uh, social and friendship limitations, and I, I don't want that to happen. And that's one a, thing. This is such a good one. I think this should be a pod topic because, like, I find the bitterness coming out when, as you get older, you get more experienced. Like Armand's talking about, you you see more things, you you learn more things, you know more things, and in knowing more things, you can get bitter at like new ideas that you've already 
seen tested and fail and you're just like, oh, no. <laughs> that kind of bitter? No, that's just your mustache talking. <laughs> don't, don't worry. Um, that one's easy. For bucket list stuff, I was like hearing you guys and I, I think about new places, right? Like I, I've, uh, I don't have an itch to go any specific place. I've, I've had the luxury of going many, going to many places and um, I think where, where I'm excited as I'm just like looking at myself now, uh, we're talking about going to visit Mina's um, family who live in Iran, but we can't go to Iran. So we'd go to Turkey to, to see that family group. And that would be exciting for me because like family Turkey's is like our shared awesome. value. And Beautiful I, like, place. Uh, I think it's more for, like you said, it's more for the people in that, in that regard. Because mm. um, like I've, I've traveled enough to know that you can have a magical experience anywhere. It just depends on, did you mm -hmm. meet that guy named Hemingway in this particular moment that you were there? Was the, was the weather nice that you yeah. were there? Because you see things in such a limited sliver. And, and in that sliver, did you have that experience that became meaningful to you? And that changed your whole perception of what this place is. Mm. Right? Yeah, 100%. Actually makes me a little sad sometimes when I, I've been to like a great place and it doesn't quite deliver. I'm like, damn, I, I don't think I quite dialed this right to have the optimal experience. Not that I have a regret about it, but it's like that could have been better. I have to go back and it's, it's redo that. It's hard to create that experience when you are visiting a place that you don't know, but you yeah. want those like random moments to happen. And you're like, but I don't live here. So how do I like craft that? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, those are the ones that you remember the most. I have something about um, um, regret that I've been thinking about that I thought I would share um, because you, you also said something about bitterness and I, and I think it's related. I was thinking recently about just this idea of, uh, let, me, let me find my exact note here. I was just thinking about like how, uh, you know, I just became a dad recently and I became a dad at the age of 36. Um, and, and you guys aren't dads yet, and, and I think you're all at least a year older than me. But I, I still recognize the fact that, like, compared to, like, a suburban dude or, like, a country dude, like, I'm, I'm much older. Uh, now, on, on the other side of that, my dad was 38 years, years old when I was born. This is no big deal. Um, and I never was in a rush to have a child. I always wanted to wait. But I was talking to Stephen about this one time where I was like, once I had my baby this like thing hit me where I was just like, what have I been waiting for? Like, why did I wait so long? Like, could I have done this in my twenties and why did I not? And I'm one of these people, I'm extremely uh, lucky that I received this like gene from my dad where I'm never uh, regretful or jealous. Like I just don't compare myself to other people and I definitely never get down about my past. I'm just like, it's all here and this is where I am now and this is great. And it's just something I don't think about, but it's just something I, I'm very fortunate to have gotten from my dad, both probably like literally genetically to some degree, you know, personality I think is partly genetically passed. I mean, we know that happiness even is partly genetically given to you, but also just the model that was like represented, like anytime someone would come up, he'd be like, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd use words to illustrate exactly what I'm describing. But I still was sitting there for a moment just being like, man, I could have been a younger dad and, you know, all these things. And, you know, by the time, how old will I be when my 
when my daughter's this age? And then how old will I be when my daughter's this age? And I started playing that out. And I was like, whoa, 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 what am I doing here? And it was new for me. I was like, why am I doing this? And suddenly I asked myself a different question. I asked myself, well, what did I do instead? Like, what did I gain instead of having this baby 10 years ago? And I thought through the 47 countries that I visited and what my rich life has looked like looked like for the last 10 years and the things that I've gotten to do. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, look at that. Like none of that wisdom could have ever been available to pass on to my daughter. None of this life experience, none of this ability to like create this company today, all of it. Like, and, and it's just like, I, I share this because so many people struggle with regret and it's something that we're all optimizing against to make sure that we never feel regret, regretful. But I think it's very easy to make sure you don't because all you have to do is be grateful for everything that you've experienced and know that it was part of the journey. And if you're sitting there going like, like I realized this as well as like, what if somebody says, well, you know, Armand, like, but I look at the past 10 years and I didn't go to 47 countries and I didn't do anything meaningful with my life and it sucked. And to that, I would say, well, then get fucking busy. Like today, now, like I, whenever I need that boost, I'm just like, I find the inspiration and I go watch something like Walter Mitty, which is like this really like beautiful movie that always puts me in like so underrated. such a good state of mind. And I'm like, if you're Walter Mitty and you're out there struggling to like, just go and do something, find that thing that like hits the spark for you and go and take a risk and do it because like every day that goes by, that's what's making the regret heavier. It's the lack of movement and mobility in your life of trying things. It's not the fact that you made the wrong decision. I didn't make the wrong decision by waiting to have a baby. I made the right decision for me. And I should be grateful that I had all this mobility in my life. I think it's so. a good way to talk about the nuance. Can I add in like an extra layer of nuance that might be more difficult? Yeah, please. Okay, so ooh, this is going to be a hard one. So like you waited till you're 38 to have a, a child and you paid no consequences to that you got to have a child still and visit 47 countries in advance. What if you waited till 38 and because of that decision, you were no longer able to have a child and then you're still saying to yourself, eh, worth it, dude, got, got to see my 47. And that's like something that people face. Yes. That's hard. Very true. That's the, yeah, there's no easy answers there. That's where I think, then I start to think about things like suffering in general and the meaning behind any level of suffering at all whatsoever and when life doesn't give you what you want like what do you do with that when you want something specifically and life just doesn't seem to want to give it to you and how do you still find gratitude those are not easy questions or or easy to find answers at all but i think it ultimately comes down to like trusting your journey trusting what the universe and life is giving you there's always something deeper if we can extract it i think that's what tony would say I think it's believing that life happens for you, not to you, which is one of my favorite things that he just like simplified for me. Um, but it's easier said than done. <laughs> Anyone have anything anything else? I mean, I had a bunch of other stuff, but they're kind of like simplistic compared to what we've talked well, about do, so far. I do, I do want to do, I want to do like random stuff, like, like really luxurious um, high-end like trip experiences yeah, like i want to go to like scandinavia and like be in one of those like glass domes and like you know go and see the northern lights that way 
I want a lot of these like guided experiences. I want to go to Antarctica and do it the right way. Like beautiful guided experience. Um, I want to get my Walter Mitty Iceland kind of, you know, uh, Back, experience. Throw the backpack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get the skateboard. Um, just a lot of, a lot of that kind of stuff for me. Like uh, it's more than anything. It's the go out into the world and get lost for extended periods of time. Like I'm, I'm excited for your, uh, Nepal trip, dude. Yeah, like that I hit is, up the, uh, the I have person this trying to help me. I was like, okay, feeling that one's need to get amazing. this. Uh, need to get this situated. So I'm gonna get on the phone with him. Yeah, actually, one of our um, uh, listeners uh, hit me up on on Twitter about he, he had already been to Bhutan. Him and I've been chatting here and there. Oh, Bhutan, and, sorry. Yeah. Is it is it as happy as they say according to this man? Uh, we are still chatting about it, but um, yeah, it sounds like he enjoyed it. Hmm. Like it was, he had thought I already been to Bhutan. And uh, so I was like, no, I need the I need the alpha, brother. <laughs> Hook it up. Yeah, so hopefully that by the end of the year, that's the plan. Um, let's shift gears into uh, not just the planet, but outside of this uh, yeah. place, going to the moon, going to Mars. Um, These segues. Ah, you love them. So good. From Bhutan uh, to Mars. Make you do them all from now on if you don't. <laughs> so tomorrow uh, is launch day for SpaceX. And um, there's no really clear indication that it seems like one of the first times that Elon is like um, uh, under promising. <laughs> Maybe. Because uh, he's just like success is just not blowing this thing up. He's right. basically like it'll be entertaining either way. Yeah. Because it's either going to work or it'll blow up. This is like yeah. wild to me. This vision, this like I'm more interested in like the logistical plan of like, how do you get Can to Can you tell Mars? me what the, the vision is, what this uh, thing represents? What is what is this? It's okay. a step toward Mars. Okay. So imagine, so this thing, the actual starship is about 16 stories high and about 30 feet in diameter. It's bigger than 16 stories, isn't it? I thought it was 167 it's, feet, no? That was 120 no, meters. meters. Oh, shit. It's like 400 meters. feet high. Okay, so it's 40 Towers stories over high. like the Statue of 40 Liberty. 40 stories high and 30 yeah. feet So this is across. like a uh, international space no, station type of... Maybe it was 30 uh, meters. The biggest it's rocket. 120 no, 100 meters. something meters for sure. So hold on. I, I have no knowledge here. So he's building something where you can go up there and dock on your way to Mars? Is that what's going so, on? So essentially the plan is you send up one starship. It hovers in orbit, in Earth's orbit. You send up another starship. They connect. You refuel starship one. Uh, starship two that just held the, the fuel, it, it lands back on Earth. So this key thing is that it's reusable. Then you send starship on an eighth-month journey. It ha happens every 26 months, apparently when the alignment is like good for short travel from Earth to Mars. And then you can send one. Ideally, once things are settled, you can land that thing on Mars, use the, the native water, melting ice, I assume, and carbon dioxide to create the same fuel that Starship needs to send it back to Earth. So he's talked about in one of these tweets where you basically set up 100 Starships, put them in Earth's orbit, refuel them, and then literally like Battleship Galactica, literally send over... 100 starships with all the cargo you so need. So this is the way to uh, civilize. They, they can hold like 100 people, right? Well, so I was trying to imagine that. So, okay, this makes more sense. Like 40 stories high and whatever, you know, maybe the size of this office in diameter. Okay, that makes more sense about holding 100 people plus, you know, 100 metric tons of like cargo that it, that it needs. Um, and that's, that's fascinating. It's a very grandiose vision. 
You know, yeah, shit. Like I just sending a hundred <laughs> of boy. these up. And your boy. It's also the first time anyone has even been like, we should reuse a rocket and land it back down. Dude, doesn't he deserve some credit for the grandiose visions, if nothing else? Because like Poo Pooer over here just says like, oh, yeah, grandiose. Like, no, that's fucking awesome. That's it awesome. Is, it is yeah. literally How is fundamentally the grandiose. Poo pooing it. Fundamentally changing the arc of humanity. Because, oh, sorry. And the evolution of humanity. You didn't say anything today, but you've only said oh, everything only for two years before this. That he's sorry. a con artist. Yeah, come on. Sometimes he is. The the boring company is stupid, and like he like still can't put solar shingles on your roof. So like it, it is an interesting, but it's all what you focus on. It's interesting. It's all what we look at. It's, it, it is an interesting juxtaposition, but I guess it comes down to like the parts we focus on. And I've always focused on like, he takes a lot of shots and the shots that, uh, he's produced results on are not just normal. These are human, evolution trajectory changing shots that are unfolding before our eyes and that deserves credit and along the way please god allow the man to shoot other shots and miss just like michael jordan just like anyone else like allow him to shoot some shots and miss again and and i said lately that his stock is way down for me especially with the way he was like treating people and the twitter sagas and all that that's all part of it that's all part of the equation but i think it's incredible what he's doing what yes, they're sir. doing it's obviously so far beyond Elon as well. Like his ability to attract such incredible talent is what is making this possible. I, I think you do that when you got a, you know, big, hairy, audacious vision yeah. like that, that has meaning. I think you do attract like right. natural talent by saying like, we are going to tackle this and like, it's going to be hard, but like I'm calling on all the best and brightest and some of the best and brightest are naturally. I mean, something he, he deserves credit for is that he's got capital back it up that he's earned on on his own with a little bit of help from government subsidies or whatever you want to say uh and also a track record of success here and there that uh enables sort of people to buy in which i think deserves more credit than you know like consternation that he receives there's so many things to give credit to and i don't want this now to become the opposite where usually he gets bashed but now we're just lauding him but like the guy places like enormous bets, all-in bets. These are all-in bets. Like, Tesla was an all-in bet. SpaceX was an all-in bet. Bankrupted by SpaceX, yeah. too. Yeah. So, like, the most important thing here is the fact that he, like, went all the way all-in to make SpaceX happen, and the probability of success was probably, like, 5%, you know? And, like, maybe less. <laughs> so, because <laughs> it's, like, we, we might see like humans on Mars in our, in our lifetime. So I think 2025 and 2028, there's moon missions where the starship is, is some portion of it, whether it's like uh, taking people from the shuttle to, to the moon and back, like shuttling humans or the whole, the whole thing. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Wait, but do, do you know how long it takes to get to Mars? Is it eight, eight years? Eight months. Eight months. Months, yeah. Okay. Eight months. Space is really big. I had a order of magnitude there. <laughs> yeah, eight months isn't too Not bad. bad. Not yeah, but bad. like, I mean, the the amount of technology you need to create for that to happen, like, you would lose muscle mass in a, you know, gravity free environment over eight months, and you're supposed to go build a brand new civilization. Like, there's there's things that have to get figured out. That it's, still, it's still crazy to think about, like how big space is that you're on a rocket just rocketing. 
for eight months straight at uh to get hundreds of places thousands of miles per hour and yeah, like you possible. you left somewhere like the beginning of september is it a given just, you lose muscle mass? You think yeah. rectum maintains his quads? <laughs> <laughs> no fucking chance. <laughs> Nothing to push up against. He's, he's not going to Mars. There's no way. Um, yeah, I don't want to like focus sex on sex on Mars. I don't want to focus suck. on. Uh, yeah, be terrible. You just threw me off with your sex comment again. I don't want to focus on like Elon so much. I think like it's cool what he's done but like it, it's more just like an incredible when i when i saw that thing just standing up there like 400 feet of that rocket and was like holy cow like humans built this biggest and one ever right i think it is yeah it is i was shocked by how much bigger it is than the space shuttle like yeah. it just makes the space shuttle look like a freaking little toy car it's it it's crazy it's a it's a it's a big thing and like i don't know it it reminded me of like how advanced it is, but simultaneously like how primitive it is. Like I could imagine like a very advanced space traveling civilization that just like just zaps and warps places. Right. Being like, oh, look at these little monkeys strapping themselves to this little pile of Huge metal and rocket, with some gas yeah. and just lighting it on fire and yeah. just waiting eight months to go somewhere. That's like cute. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but for us, it's like the frontier of, of, of everything. I hope we keep it in the space museum in the future though. It'd be sick. Yeah, it is. I'm imagining like a floating space museum in like one of our galaxies. We all just like visit and we show <laughs> up and hey, remember that? It's pretty it's primitive. Fun. I mean you can't paint that thing a pretty color because all the paint would be so fucking heavy. <laughs> it's just not useful. Um but like I'm not a space geek by by any mean, but you know, Musk does talk about that what's more exciting than trying to become a multi planetary you know, planet species, and what could what what other thing could make you more optimistic about the future if you can watch humanity as a group like accomplish this? And uh, I kind of buy into it because like I'm just watching this test flight. I'm eager to watch it. I'm I'm excited. To what see. time is it at? I think it'll be like 5 a.m. PST tomorrow yeah. morning. So it makes you more optimistic. I think so. A lot of people get pessimistic about this kind of stuff. They feel like we're putting our time and resources and energy and dollars in the wrong direction. Well, yeah, technology so, passes down, by like the way. All we're doing it's, is yeah, like fair. avoiding like conflict at home. This on is Earth. such a uh, a polarizing situation. People will say, "Oh, you have all this money. Why not solve poverty and hunger on Earth? Right? Why are you trying to go to Mars?" This is the like. Um, that's that's the like left curve kind of like. Simple. But you, I mean, you hear this all or the time. Or is it the right? Yeah, you hear it all the time. Yeah, I mean, I've I've read must say like, you know, when you have a civilization that's alive in the universe, the question is, do you go beyond one planet? Like, if you can go beyond one, you might be able to go beyond two, and like that is that is the question because do you only stay on the one planet? He's like, if we can make that leap, then you know, exponential more improvement from there but i you know towards the economic argument i all this technology will get passed down you know through the economy like there will be advances in technology that eventually become commercialized that i think consumers do get to experience i agree with both those takes yeah. and i think like uh man there has to be like a, a huge premium on the insurance policy that we're taking out to protect the conscious mind, right? Like, isn't this what he talks about? He says, like, we have had this privilege of having a mind as, like, homo sapiens. 
and we're at such risk of like one big comet or something hitting Earth, and that is all destroyed. Talks about it's like a flicker, a flicker of flame. Protect that. The problem with the argument of, hey, Mr. Billionaire, why don't you focus on the problem at home? Is that it's not none of their business. We all have the freedom and opportunity to focus on whatever we want to focus on. As long as we're not committing a crime or hurting anybody, why wouldn't we reward somebody for trying to solve any problem? Oh, well, no that, one person can well, solve every problem. I think that they applies have to follow their interests. That applies to Musk, but what about when you're talking about a, a publicly funded NASA program or something like that's government funded that's based on taxpayer dollars? Sure, and the discrepancy between funds going toward problems that people deem are more worthy versus like space exploration. Well, my dollars are not going to solve problems that serve me, but serve some Martian I mean, species. That's, that's how we, I don't think that's how we got here, right? Like NASA essentially was like defunded. Saying yeah, like, I don't we think don't it's need to true. I don't yeah. think it's true. I think so, like the majority of dollars do go. I did hear, toward, so, but, I, but they don't trickle down to. I to, did hear something uh, suggesting. I mean, this is from like a NASA. Ite, NASA Ite. This guy was telling me that this is like a government program that funds itself based on its tech innovation. Mm. I don't know if that's true, but uh, like I like mean, universities kind of have this like commercial licensing capability where you can go in these tech transfer programs. Like San Diego State had one, and we participated in that. And um, yeah, you, you can make money that way by licensing out the raw technology that you create. So yeah. I don't know if NASA has that. I feel like we used to create like so much incredible technology via NASA and via like a lot of these government programs. And I don't know if this is correct, but it it feels like that stopped. Doesn't feel like anything comes from the public sector anymore. And I feel like that's a little bit sad. I think that people who are like, you know, Elon should be saving hungry people on earth and, I get the argument that it's his money, he can do what he wants, but like, I think a better counter argument to that is like what, what you were advocating for is for is to like alleviate human suffering in a way, right? But you're a little like too sort of like myopic in your vision if you're just focused on, hey, these humans are suffering here right now. I think if you zoom out a lot, you can argue that if we don't become an interplanetary species, then it's not a question of like if human civilization will end, it's just a question of when, right? Yeah. And if if you could have hypothetically gotten to a point where humanity could thrive for a million years because they become sort of so decentralized, they spread out throughout the universe and like no one like kind of spark of catastrophe can end the human race then if you're able to prevent that from happening, if you're able to make the jump to interplanetary and that allows humanity to thrive like across in infinite generations, then in a way you have saved billions, hundreds of billions of human lives if you zoom out far enough and project far enough into the future. So, so logical. Th- through that lens, I think this is great. You just have to accept that it's, it's a benefit for humanity. It just might not be... In the present day, you might not be able right. to see it. You might not be yeah, able to like help someone else now. Can focus so let, on let that. me put some stats to it in an algo type of way. Nick, I don't know where you were on this one, but here I am. Uh, <laughs> NASA's annual budget um, is funded uh, from the federal government budget. Um, it is as a percentage of the federal total. In 2020, it received 22 billion dollars from the federal budget. 
which is half of a percent oh of the total pennies, U.S. Bro. federal budget. We spent budget. that on like one plane to drop bombs on people. It's like so sad. Yeah. Uh, since its inception, the United States has spent six hundred fifty billion on NASA. So I think that I, I think and in the, favor of NASA, we just you know kind of there was a comment about where's the innovation as well. Well, the James Webb Telescope was a huge thing. So even with this limited amount of funding and talent and research time, like they did help develop, like they were the, the, the pioneers behind it. It was a collaborative effort between a couple different space agencies, government space agencies, but they were the, they were the ones that created this. And this is the greatest thing we've, one of the greatest things we've ever created. So. Oh, I think it even goes back even further to support your point. I, I was just showing the stats, but I think to yeah. support your point, they, they've like created things that are even like in consumer use. Like I think like polarized sunglasses are like a NASA mm. invention that trickles down, et cetera. But is the space pen one the the one that the uh, one that still writes without yeah, gravity? Yeah. Is that one of theirs or someone else made that? Uh, the algo would have to look that I up. I actually was looking at it on Amazon. I was like, I should get one of these. <laughs> yeah, I need this. It was Rem just suggested. It was Remit just like, Sethi is just well, like, shut up. No, you don't. <laughs> well, Amazon's becoming its own algo now. It's like freaking like an Instagram algorithm. It's starting to feed you all the shit you don't need. Oh, man. Um, no, I, I, I agree. I, I think, again, to add to your point, Stephen, as well, it's like, I think it's a silly argument. Um, super silly. It's just dumb. Like... Let people work on the innovative things that drive them, that they find innately exciting. Um, everyone is here to, to do something. If, they, if, if Let me put it a different way. Most people are doing nothing. Nothing. If somebody's doing something, shut up and or support them in every way you possibly can. That is literally a foundational thing for me. Like It is so easy to sit and talk and critique what people do. Shut up. Most of the time, all you need to do is shut up and applaud somebody's work and behavior or become useful. And most people are just not useful. So the person that says the problem is this Elon or this Jeff or this Mike should go and work on that problem themselves instead of arguing and bitching about, well, I don't have the resources to solve the problem the way you do. If you just gave this percentage of your wealth, it would solve the problem overnight. He's got too many you things do. he can do. Taxes. He's got an opportunity cost. Yeah, that too. But like, go get busy doing it yourself instead of complaining. Most people don't do shit. Man. I got I got more good ROI stats on your NASA oh, public here funding. Here he comes. I woke him up. The algo. Uh, memory foam. Memory foam. Memory foam developed by NASA engineers. Now enjoyed every night when you sleep tidy in bed. Enjoyed by me. Yep. That's a fact. Scratch resistant lenses. Eh, okay. Cool. Um, water filtration. I mean, oh, that's pretty important. that was created by NASA for astronauts now so in every single fucking home. Um, infrared thermometers, more in like healthcare, you experience it, but you're also your, uh, mm. you know, your, your cooking utensil to make sure your steak is just perfectly medium rare. Mm. And then uh, cordless tools, another one uh, cordless developed tools. by NASA. Nothing, so this is like my thing that I'm worried about. It's like nothing you just read was developed like post-1970. Maybe a little bit later. Well, I mean, when did you have like an urgent push? I mean, Kennedy you made a memory foam no, in the fucking eighties. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe, never bed okay, is that the best born? thing we've gotten lately? Is like memory foam, like that. that that's sad. Like Eric Weinstein, James talked, Webb Telescope, bro. That's a what, big one. Well, I mean, that's cool and everything, but like, like 
Weinstein has talked about this a lot. Like he sort of like lamented the demise of sort of like the cowboy intellectual. Like he talks about how we used to have like Richard Feynman and like elevate these people. And we used to split the atom and try to go to the moon. And like now we can't figure out how to get like grandma her pills like for a reasonable cost without her like dying. And it's just like, what are we doing? As like a society now, like, like no in, real material yeah, innovation. Yeah, like we've outsourced that to like, e- like thank God Elon is doing this, I guess, because if you, but like, why does it have to be up to Elon to do this? Like, what happened to us doing this? He's the only collectively one collectively as a society. Like, where did that go? Uh, Peter Thiel has the same argument, and he's like, we don't have ticker tape parades anymore for like individuals for people who accomplished big things and it's not proper to celebrate an individual like well, it's i was more thinking about this because i remember you brought this up and i was like what if it's just a shift away from individualism in general maybe that's not a terrible thing it could be that i think it's a problem with capitalism mm-hmm. um and i i think i'm going to harken back to your gripe with crypto and i'm going to use capitalism as like a the analogy here it's like all these devs want to build the next DeFi scam mm-hmm. because that is what's going to best serve them instead of like creating something that's novel that's going to actually change the space. I would also, I, I, I think that's true. I also think what society like as a whole values and sort of holds up as like laudable has changed. So our society doesn't value Feynman anymore. It values like, thinking about the collective, like victimhood, oppression, stuff like that. Like when was the last time you saw somebody like celebrated for doing like things that were like, cool? like, it's like, I feel like a lot of it is like what Armand says about like Elon. Now, now I think it's perfectly fine to say like, Hey, is this the best way to be spending our resources? Like, do we want this guy to have this much money where all these people are suffering? I think that's a totally fair critique. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like society is celebrating like that sort of like cowboy, you know, like intellectualism, like the the way it know, used to. I don't know. Like I, who's I think our I, modern Feynman? I think I well, I think there's a bunch of them now. Uh, but I think the difference is like well, I who? think plenty of people are getting celebrated. Who? Well, I only know Elon. Well, I mean, Elon is mean like, not. Elon is mostly not liked, though. Right. He's not even celebrated. No, but he used to be before he kind of put himself out there even more and became but the richest man in the world. He used to be celebrated. Adored, I would argue in a time adored. where we still were kind of celebrated. Or, or Be- that, Bezos is a good example. Know? He's not really out there like publicly as much as Elon, but he's still hated on. Yeah, I I just think that we're talking about potentially two different things. I think there are plenty of people still appreciated by society. But what's happening is there's an overlay on top of that, which is the whole populism cultural narrative we've been seeing over the last five to 10 years that is making it appear that way and is literally also causing a huge portion of portion of society to just hate on somebody because okay, well, it whoa, doesn't whoa, whoa, align whoa. with their political You're, you're narrative. conflating populism and collectivism, though, I think. Well, I think no, that, that's another layer. Yeah. <laughs> that's another layer. But I'm I'm just addressing the thing that I don't know if it's true that we don't value individual contribution. I've actually said this in the past that I've had a gripe with this, that I'm like, where has the appreciation of individuals gone? But the more I thought about it, I'm like, it is there. 
but I think they're just more under a microscope than they used to be. I think that's been a shift. It's like everything's changed about like what you can say and how you can say it and are you speaking factually? So I just think the standard is higher. And I also think there's the collectivism thing and I think there is the populism thing on top of it. But at the root of it, this is America, at least we speaking as Americans, we still very much make it very easy for someone to gain uh, a huge platform and become extremely popular by doing great things or notorious, poor, uh, bad behavior things. Either way, you can gain a platform very easily in this country. I, I still think that's, that's I feel true. like just the vast majority of platforms that have been given out and like have that people have risen to in like the last decade have not been people who have like accomplished things that are great for humanity, to be honest. Like I feel like it's great just memes like a lot of become nonsense. Um, I don't know. I look at like Rogan and I'm like, look at how many scientists I've learned about over the last five years that I never would have known about. There's this independent news outlet, essentially. Rogan is Rogan is hated on. Rogan he's not and he's not a fine man, he, but he, he does a the service most, to society okay. at the platform. You're looking at one side of the coin. Joe Rogan is the most popular podcast in the world. What else do you want? Like it is the most popular podcast in the world and it's the most controversial figure, one of the most controversial figures. But we have people that I've been exposed to that I didn't know about before, Sam Harris, Jordan Peterson, Eric and Brett Weinstein, all the scientists that he's brought on, all, all of those the people you just listed are highly controversial and, and not also universally highly prop popular with huge platforms of millions. And of the people. vast majority of everybody you listed, I would say, hasn't done anything super in incredible for society. Also, they're just they're pontificators. They're, Wait, they're trying, right? Yeah, they're like, they're like, trying to do things. I guess, like if Eric Sam Weinstein, Harris is trying to change the Eric Weinstein, like. Did set the like, changes the nature of physics with his like uh, super string theory or whatever? I don't know, know what it is. Like then, sure, that'll be like kind of crazy. But like, I think they're all trying. Like Sam Harris is trying to change the consciousness of the planet with a meditation app. They're the essence of like what modern society is, though. I feel like, which is like a lot of this like thinking and like like at least Elon is he's like building a thing here and going to space and like I can kind of get behind that and like they're just doing science. Do you think like, sure, do you think it's changed that much? Uh, this is what I wonder because like if you go back in history before our lifetime, like Robert Oppenheimer, like do you think he was like universally celebrated or do you think he got a lot of pushback? I'm guessing he got a lot of pushback. Yeah, it was the same, but exactly. And, and we just didn't have the platform of information to know where's the radar on this person as a whole? Like how much hate does, you have more information now about how disliked and hated a person is because there's signals. You have comments and like buttons that allow you to see what people think. How would you have known what people think about Oppenheimer outside of the discussions you'd have and the newspaper article you'd read, which was super controlled by one individual person or journalist or entity like the newspaper. I just think we have more information now. Right. And then it's, it's not just more information. And then I think Society about a guy like, values different stuff. I think about a guy like Einstein. He was probably like uh, globally celebrated, but so was Stephen Hawking in yeah. our generation. Mm -hmm. You know, the guy got no pushback. True. I think, it, I think we're more similar than we are different from the previous generations. I'm not denying cultural shifts over time. We're definitely in a different era now. And, and the culture, we talk about it all the time on the pod, like how much the culture has changed. But I, I still think we have access to... And I think there was one thing getting lost there is like some of the people we mentioned are just academics. They're not builders. They're not right. going to build. But others are builders. Uh, that's what they do. 
and Elon is one of those. But uh, I'm I was very specifically lamenting the loss of the sort of communal societal building, the building through like government and stuff like that. Like again, like we used to go to the moon and like we split the atom and we create all this technology. Like and now I now it's just Elon on his own with SpaceX. Like what what well, yeah, are we so doing? It's become as a society. It's privatized, like, right? Yeah, I feel like it's a reflection of the values of society. We don't value doing that like as a as like a societal government. Yeah, anymore, I mean those right? two it's interesting that the two examples you gave, maybe we'll have more of that, because like what we had in both those examples was an enemy and someone to fight against. Like we split the atom because we needed to win a war. What was the other example you gave? Going to the moon. Going to the moon. Right, well, the Russians. Russia launched the Russians. Sputnik, and we needed to be there first. Like, I don't know, maybe like a bipolar world will. Is that like, what we need, though? Ignite. Like, we as like human, as society, we're like incapable of doing great things until like some other culture puts a gun the to our head. Unites or you into yeah. Well, specifically government-funded things. Yes, maybe. Uh, and maybe the government is just no longer interested in funding those things because there's no like battle. Thomas, Thomas Edison wasn't like government-sponsored. He right. was like a rogue, like Elon. He was know? an Elon, and I think he probably got a lot of pushback too for his and there's ideas. There's a great example of like both an academic and a builder. Uh, he was he was an incredible builder, right? It was, you know, if if you listen to our last episode, pure capitalist. We, we did talk about like a little uh, trade and the hollowing out of our manufacturing base in the U.S. And I wonder if that has something to do with what you're saying. Like you, when you were talking about, we haven't had any real technology or real builders like make a real impact. And I think we're talking about physical things, not necessarily like. Uh, thought boys coming up with uh, new new uh, theories and hypotheses on how the world works. And I wonder if there's some correlation between if the country's manufacturing base kind of gets hollowed out over decades, does that hmm. weed away in its ability to create true innovation? I mean, you know, it's so, uh, it confounds me that like the Biden administration wants to celebrate U.S. made stuff. And then you have this entrepreneur like building cars in the U.S., building batteries, building new technology, building fucking spaceships in in the U.S. and like, yeah, won't even mention his name, won't even like acknowledge that he exists. And I mean, that's probably more political comment than anything. But still, I think the point remains: like, did the hollowing out of the manufacturing base and the knowledge to build things logic checks out? But I think you would then see the next Edison come out of China or Philippines or something, and. We'll see. Yeah, you don't have the framework, the like maybe the the like capitalistic framework to like let those people succeed. Do you think there's like just like a bit of a anti-technology, almost like Luddite type mindset in the country right now because that has happened? Like if you hollow out like a bunch of people's livelihoods in the name of quote unquote like techno technological advancement or capitalism or whatever you want to say, like maybe people develop like an inherent like kind of sort of gag reflex when confronted with anything that even like feels adjacent to to that. It's a good, it's a good point. I mean, like we're crowded when, when it comes to AI, we're crowded with the technologists, the people on the, the front of the adoption curve and what they think about it. But we haven't heard the silent majority, which is the ones who got hollowed out, you know, the middle of America. We haven't really heard their true thoughts yet. They're probably just because they haven't been hollowed out yet. Like I think like the you know, the, the people that are going to be hollowed out by AI have yet to feel that. Or maybe they'll be the ones who are best off, and we talked about that too. Creatives are fucked, and uh, you can 
fix things with your hands. You're well, not I guess worth that's what I mean. Yeah. It's like we, we haven't heard from the creatives who have been displaced by AI. Yeah. Yeah. I'm worried about that too. That's that's temporary until the robots show up. <laughs> Seriously. The electricians in power for the next however many years, but but it's cool this thing's this is happening because like we're talking about this topic because someone is launching a massive rocket into space to conquer another planet that wasn't even part of our conscious of like what's capable before. So I think it's cool that you know, this happening in our lifetime, yeah. we get the chance to, Let, let's, to let's get it. to the, let's get to the heart of the issue here, I guess. Like, are you guys fundamentally like optimistic or, or pessimistic on humanity? What does that even mean to be like optimistic or pessimistic? Like, do you, does it matter of survival? Is it a matter of like, will society here in America be thriving 10 years from now? Will it be worse like how would you even define yeah i think it should be defined by like on one side of the spectrum it just either is very dystopic and trends poorly um for people and becomes worse and less safe um or it just completely ends is kind of that side and the other side is it just generally trends better and there's more prosperity yeah I think it can be both where I'm thinking of it is kind of like what we talked about on the money episode in the most recent one where it's like uh, innovation and like uh, productivity gains have benefited all people, but have benefited some more than others. So you'd see like quality of life improvements across the board, but you also see a widening wealth gap. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably the way we But will that widening wealth gap for you end in destruction and dystopia? And potentially the end of all things, or it's just cyclical. And no, I don't think the it's, band yeah. swings after a bottom is hit. I don't think it's cyclical. I think it probably is here to stay, but we got to find some way to. Um, What's here to stay? The wealth gap. The wealth gap. So the wealth gap is here to stay and get grows wider and gets worse. I think so. I and think so. Both like, things happen simultaneously, particularly on like a, a shorter term time horizon, which I would call my lifetime. Hmm. Um, you know, as I zoom out, that's short time. That's short term. My lifetime is short term. Mm-hmm. And I think the wealth gap widens during my lifetime. And I think we have to find ways to address that widening wealth gap during my lifetime. That's interesting. But, I actually, I, but I I'm still feel the opposite. I'm still optimistic about humanity during that time. I think we close it. I don't know. I'm I'm I uh choose to be i think is the only clear way to describe it uh, a sort of optimist about the future of humanity because it feels like one of the only choices i have and i feel like if i give that choice up to uh anything else and to to allow um negative consequences and and, and sort of a dark situation to take place i will have participated in the creation of that dystopia it's that simple for me. Like I choose to be an optimist and in particular a techno optimist because I feel like everyone has a part to play. And if you want to see a better world, then you better be doing something about it. So for me, it's a fundamental part of my identity that I hope never changes. I hope the world never becomes so dark that there's no um, staring at the darkness and still trying to be the light that's like there's nothing left. I hope it's not like that dark place like we've seen in the movies sometimes. but And I don't think it will be because I think that if 
this type of thinking continues to be um, elevated and uh, rewarded, or not even rewarded, but just like a, a, a sort of acknowledged and and latched onto by different types of thinkers, and they also realize, hey, fundamentally, what that is just true. Like what I believe is the reality that will unfold in front of me. It is that simple. And I think we often make it much more difficult than it is. And we believe that this is something outside of ourselves. It's not, it's not. I'm telling you, if you had a hundred people in a room and a hundred people said, this is gonna be a great life, it'd be a great fucking life. It's, it's, it's really down to that because they would find a way to collaborate and make a great life for each other. But if a lot of people had fears and concerns and scarcity that you're going to kill me or you're going to rob from me and then I'm going to rob from you and this outside entity is going to become too powerful and we're not going to be able to control it and all these things, then that's exactly what would happen. And then lastly, I also look at technology like AI not as an existential threat, but just like any other technology that we've developed. And I think all technologies have aided and guided and enabled the evolution of humanity. And ultimately, this will be no different. We'll find our way. I think we're bringing up the right questions to make sure that we align it correctly, that there's regulation in place as much as necessary or possible to make sure that things just don't completely go haywire um, so that we don't have things happen that are just like absolute catastrophes. And maybe a couple catastrophes have to occur to get very serious about how we uh, tame technology. But this is not any different than anything else we've ever experienced. It's very different, though, I think. So here, here it's different in its magnitude, but it's not d different in its nature. Okay, here, here's how I see it. So in, in investing, we have, we have something we call like a risk of ruin, right? You know, the idea that you blow up and go to zero. And when you're dealing with, like, say, a space like uh, crypto, like where you are immensely bullish and if you could just get to the long run and deal with the volatility you'll have like effectively infinite wealth if you can avoid blowing up um and you see this like in in, in evolution right you could have just millions of the species die off die off die off as long as the species itself doesn't go extinct you can keep iterating you can keep moving forward you can keep going and getting to the long run I think when humans were primitive species and we were just dealing with like sticks and stones and stuff, like we couldn't nuke ourselves, right? Now we literally can actually nuke ourselves, but we're also rapidly developing other technology that can effectively metaphorically nuke us in a particular way. And I think like the problem I see with humanity is like we're really good at reacting when something slaps us in the face and like overcoming adversity and picking ourselves up and marching forward again we're very bad at like advanced collective risk mitigation like you see this with like climate change and that sort of thing my fear is that with like super advanced technology we don't get the chance to like take a slap in the face and adjust and pick ourselves up and adapt and like iteratively move forward we just like mess one thing up and then like the whole game is over eventually so on like a really long horizon, I'm like kind of worried about that. I'm actually like pretty optimistic over the next five, 10, 20 years. Like I think these problems are, are small on a relative cosmic scale and I actually think we can move like through them. But I also just look at human nature and I see it like very uh, poorly equipped to deal with these sort of say like uh, six or seven sigma 
events that in finance wipe out all your money, but like in humanity just wipe the whole thing out and then there is no chance to come back. That's like kind of my fear. Do you ever think there's this like humanity has this collective conscious base layer, which is survival and that will like, even though for as many political and cultural disagreements, economic disagreements you have doesn't like kick in at just the right moment just to save off humanity or you think this technology is like moving too fast and like we've created something that we don't even acknowledge is like you know i think we're a collection of like carbon and other various atoms that has learned to evolve and react to the analog cellular world that we evolved in and i don't know if we are going to be able to like sort of react in the same way to this new sort of digital or scientific world that we're creating where like things happen way faster than we can sort of comprehend and react to. And we're just not, we haven't blown each other up yet. We haven't nuked each other yet. I mean, it's kind of funny that like our, our way to solve that was like shared mutual destruction. If you bomb me, I bomb you. And so we all die and we don't want that years out of, you know, 10,000. Sure. So it, you know, it's, it's, it's small. Like my, my thing is like, can we get to, a million years like what does it take to get to a million years well i think we have to become interplanetary for sure and then we also have to figure out how to like mitigate these like i i do think ai is i'm actually i do actually think it's going to be like a huge problem i'm, I'm kind of in that camp after thinking through it a lot i think that's like a huge risk and i think like you know the the, the biological and other sort of scientific advances we're making like that are going to help us like immensely are also the sort of double-edged sword where they yeah, can be used I don't know. I just, it's like nuclear energy. It's the best source we've had. We've discussed it on the pod. And yet, look at the what it can do. But, like, imagine nuclear energy, except, like, you can just harness it with your keyboard. That's, like, what we're doing now. Like, we're going... Yeah, I don't disagree with your idea that, like, in the world I'm describing, collectively, if people are just, like, aligned, then you see positive outcomes. But all you need is one bad apple, one bad actor. And when the power source is so much more exponentially powerful and all it takes is one bad actor or one mishap for something to go awry, I see that. I get that. But I think that what Nick said is correct. Like, I think that humanity does have a baseline thing of like, hey, like we have our differences, but like we want to live. Like, that's just like a baseline thing. We want to live. And so when push comes to shove, I think there's more collaboration than anything else for the most part there has been um and i think it'll continue that way well i'll let i'll let you end with that i won't eric uh, you got anything on it i won't fight you are you are uh, you bearish or I bullish agree. humanity no. yeah yeah then, let's end on a bullish note okay don't let me I like it don't let me drag everybody down no that's fine <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm curious what the uh, alfalfa fam out there thinks in the community. Let us know. Are you bullish or bearish humanity? And, um, yeah, I want to have more of these discussions. Many, many, many more. For many, many more. Years. We've let's, had some good, we've had some good post-episode talks in the Discord some recently. Very good Been enjoying it. Yeah. Hop in the Discord. Let us know on the YouTube. And hopefully, uh, I know we've teased it a couple times, but we're going to be setting up our live streaming soon. So there's another tease for you. Um, hopefully tomorrow we're working on that and setting that up for uh, uh, some live streaming yeah, action. it's like proof of stake in uh, 2016. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's coming. That's perfect. It's coming, guys. All right. Peace. Bye. Later. Later.